Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message at Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy this message. Well, I have to tell you, I am super, super excited to be here, not least of which because I get to meet Pastor Norm and his wife because I love their son over in Onaway. And um, one thing that I love about him, the son, is just their faithfulness where they've been. And now I think I figure out where I got it. 14 years you've been here? 14 years. Now, I just want to give you a little statistic. The average stay of a pastor now in one of our churches is about two and a half years. And they have said that the word that best describes this generation coming up right now, under 30 years old, is abandonment. Our world doesn't know what faithfulness looks like anymore. And I think we ought to just give your pastor and his wife a round of applause for showing us that quality. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome. And I applaud you and, and honor you for that. And I hope you know how, how blessed and how privileged you are to have leaders that are here to stick with you and with this community and lead you under the gospel to do great things for the kingdom of God. So it's my privilege to be here. Thank you for singing happy birthday. My wife's birthday is tomorrow. She's so glad it wasn't today. Right now she's just like, I'm so glad I was born on the 22nd. But you can call her tomorrow and you can sing it for her then. That would be fantastic. She would love for you you to do that. Um, I I, uh, he mentioned that I, I am with North Point Bible College, and many of you may not know this, but we actually have an Assembly of God uh, Bible College right here in Michigan. We are an extension site of one of our main campus just outside of Boston. And I'll give you just kind of a brief thing. I, you know, people worry, well, you know, how's the kingdom doing? I'm so worried about youth in this day. I can tell you the kingdom of God is in great hands. We have young people who are just, we just got back on a missions trip to Tibet. They actually had to train just to be able to go so that we could live while we were up there and breathe. We were at another trip in Turkey. The place where we stayed was right next door to the hotel that just got bombed. where We were doing missions work over there. These are students who are saying, we will do anything Jesus asks us to do. Go anywhere Jesus asks us to go and talk to anyone Jesus asks us to talk about, about the gospel. The kingdom of God is in great, great hands. The one kind of issue that we began coming up with is, on the one hand, we really need to train and equip people. How many know it's important to train and equip people? That's important. But on the other hand, we were running into this issue where college has gotten so incredibly expensive. And Grand Rapids First, one of our great flagship churches in the assembly, said, well, why don't we use our resources to see if we can help that problem? And um, they said, we will be willing to donate our infrastructure to be used for a full four-year accredited BA program to happen right here on our campus. And they're now offering a four-full-year BA in ministry leadership. We have students that are going into um, to be missionaries, to be pastors, to be youth pastors, some who are going on to do degrees in counseling and social work, all coming to that campus, and we are now graduating about half of those students debt-free and the other half with an average of about $10,000 in student debt. If you know anything about student debt these days, that's incredible. That is just absolutely incredible. And for those of you who are kind of high school age, I want to encourage you. We have a new one-year program. You can come down for one year, take your gen ed credits in an atmosphere that is just going to supercharge you for Jesus, that you're going to be discipled. You're going to learn how to interact on the campus that God sends you to after you leave, and you're just there for the one year, and you lose nothing. You can still go get your degree in four years. Absolutely absolutely incredible programs, the one-year quit program. So if I can be of help or give any kind of, quite, any kind of answers or anything on that, that's fantastic. If not, that's fantastic too. But just pray for us because the kingdom of God rises and falls on leadership. That's all there is to it. When God looked down at the people of Israel and he said, I'm ready to bless them, he gave them a pastor after their own heart, after his own heart. 
That's how I began to do it, so that that could spread down into the people of God. So good, good stuff. Um, This morning, I understand that you've been in a series on words. Is that true? Talking about what God says, what you say, and then how you can integrate those together and actually speak God's word, right? God's word and God's words to each other and encourage and benefit and bless each other. And what I'd like to suggest to you this morning is that how we treat each other, kind of piggy tail off of that, how we treat each other in this community of faith, how we treat each other, how we love one another, how we talk to one another and speak to one another is mission critical for the kingdom of God. That actually how you feel about the people that you're sitting next to, and not only that, but how we feel about the people who are worshiping Jesus in other houses of worship this morning, amen, is actually mission critical. That we cannot do the kingdom of God without getting this relationship thing right. Now, we could probably go around the room this morning and we could do a little poll. And some of us would probably say, when I came to faith, I came through truth. Like, that's how God spoke to me. I was believing a lie, but somehow somebody taught something. It grabbed hold of me, changed my mind. I believed that the gospel was true, and I responded to that. How many of you, that's kind of your story? Cool. Now, we probably got other people who were like, I didn't even know what the gospel was, but I was at the lowest point of my life. I just needed the power of God to meet me where I was at. And God came in. I didn't know anything about the gospel. All I knew was once I was blind, now I could see. I had a testimony and zero theology. How many of that was described your situation? We've got a few of those. Now, others of us probably had somebody who, what I will say, loved us into the kingdom through relationship. Someone loved us, whether it was a Sunday school teacher, whether it was a spouse, whether it was a family member, a co-worker, and they just sort of wooed us to Jesus by the way that they loved us. How many would say that was their story? Cool. Then that's exactly it. All of us kind of have this story. And Jesus authentically speaks to people through all three of those. He speaks through truth, he speaks through power, and he speaks through relationship. All of those are legitimate. Okay? Now, We are very good in our Pentecostal churches at talking about the power of God. We want people, I mean, if you need to be healed, if you need to be raised from the dead, if you've got 47 kidney stones and some kind of mold growing on your back, we will pray for you and believe that God will heal you and touch you. That's us. That's our history, okay? And we're actually pretty good on the truth thing. Like, we want to proclaim the gospel. We want to preach the word. We want to preach scripture. We want to tell people about Jesus. But sometimes we take relationship and we relegate it over here and say, well, power is where God moves. Truth is how God speaks. And I suppose we have to be nice to each other so that we don't kill each other and God can do something. But we don't see how sacred, how important, and how mission critical getting relationships right is. And I want to back off this morning from talking about relationships in this very practical way, if you'll let me, and actually be a little bit more kind of theological. Can we do that? Can we learn and grow a little bit this morning? Can we do that? Because we can talk about, hey, we really should stop gossiping. We really should stop backbiting. We really should be nice to people. We really should probably not be the last one into the service and the first one out so that we can avoid all human contact if possible. We probably should not do that. Some of you, as the altar, should I open the altar right now? we got a few of those people here. They're ready to respond. They're like, I barely come into church. I'm not going to respond to the altar. I want to move past that and ask, why are relationships mission critical? Why are relationships so critical? So if you're a note taker this morning, you can just write down this simple title. What is us? What is us 
as a community. And you can turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 3, and I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story, and you're going to think that I've forgotten that we're going to read the Bible, but I haven't forgotten, I promise. But I want to give you a little bit of background information on 1 Corinthians 3. So here's the deal. You probably remember this story, right? 1 Corinthians 4, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any time at all, you probably know the beginning of there. These people, they are having conflict in the church, right? There are people gathered together, and if we read the scripture right, it actually says that they're coming together, and one group, I mean, basically has a bunch of like picket signs, and they're like, we like Paul, we like Paul, and the other group's like, no way, Apollos is better, Apollos is better. They're having that kind of conflict in the church. It's that petty, that juvenile. And if we read 1 Corinthians, we get to chapter 11, and we realize where it's all coming to a head, and that's at the Lord's Supper, because they're probably worshiping separately, but once a month, they got to get together for the community potluck. And they are having serious conflict. And here's how this conflict kind of happened. So there's two groups of people in this church. Now, we're going to divide. Now, if you guys had your choice, would you rather be be geeks or freaks? You want to be freaks? Okay, so we'll let you be the freaks. I'm going to come back to you in a second then. You guys over here will be my geeks for a second. Okay? Now, there are two groups of people in this church. (laughs) She's excited. Yes, I knew it would come in handy someday. You, you people over here, you guys have come to Jesus. Here's the problem. In the book of Corinth, there are two waves of people who have come to Jesus. The first wave of people have come to Jesus through the ministry of Apollos. Now, we know about Apollos in Acts chapter 17, 18. It says that he reasoned mightily with the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. In other words, he was an apologist. How many have ever heard of like Ravi Zacharias? He was like a Ravi Zacharias of the day. He was a C.S. Lewis. He was a thinker. He was a geek. And so he, all of these people came to Jesus, and now remember, pop quiz, you're going to get this right, I promise you. If I had to take a guess, that they came to Jesus through power, through truth, or through relationship, how did these people come to Jesus? Truth, through the vehicle of truth. And so they gather together every Sunday morning for service, and they're like, we want to hear a master's level dissertation on why Jesus is incarnate in all of the world and how I can walk out of nature and experience God's presence because of his manifest presence in the sort of incarnational aspect of God. I want to hear about that. That's all you guys want to hear on Sunday morning. And if you hear that, you guys are super stoked, okay? This group over here, you guys were worshiping in the pagan temples. You're involved in all kinds of freaky sinfulness. Don't worry, you're going to get saved here in a second. And and Paul comes in and he starts preaching the gospel. And you guys know nothing about Jesus, but you know you were bound. You know you were in bondage. You were in addiction. And Jesus came and set you free. That's all you know. I picked the right side for the freak side. That's all you guys know. And so you guys on Sunday morning, you don't want to hear about this stuff. You want, you want the organ to get going. You want the clapping to get going. Somebody jump in some pews. Some miracles happening. And that's when you guys know God has showed up. Right? So in this group over here, they're saying God shows up when our minds are expanded to think about God and be in awe of God in new, fresh, and exciting ways. That is an authentic way to experience God. Yeah? And this group says... We know that we're experiencing God when God's doing all kinds of miracles. We're experiencing the power of God. We're experiencing the presence of God. And that's a legitimate way to experience God. The problem is, every Sunday morning, you guys are over here going, I'm so glad I don't go to that church. Bunch of dead, dried up old Pharisees, Sadducees, just reading the scripture, doing theology or whatever they're doing over there. They don't know nothing about the power of God. They have a form of godliness denying the power thereof. And you people are over here going, I'm so glad I don't go to the church. Those people are nuts. Truth, 
truth. And some of you, those people are here this morning that you think that about. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. They're coming together once a month for the Lord's Supper. And all of this is coming to a head. And they are just dishonoring each other's history and each other's stories. And Paul is like, this cannot happen. This is not acceptable. In fact, if we take Paul seriously, so they're literally getting together and they're boasting and they're bragging together in their groups about how much more spiritual they are than the other group. So, Paul is going to address that issue in 1 Corinthians 3. Now, if you are like me, you probably think, and I think they thought, okay, they got a letter from Paul. It's going to be read out loud. And here's how that went down. Historically, this letter would have been read when they got together for the Lord's Supper. So they're all there. And they go, hey, guess what? We got a letter from Paul. And if you're in this group over here, the the geek side, you're going, ooh, he's going to set those people straight. (laughs) Read it. Read it. Tell them to stop being so goofy, so crazy medical. And you group over here, you're like, ooh, they're going to get it now. Paul's going to set those people straight. But here's what's fascinating. Paul's going to get to that. He's going to deal with those issues. But that's actually not the first thing that he does. The first thing he does is right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So with that in mind, you guys are here. You're ready for Paul to help you get your way and church to become like everything you want it to become. And so are you. And now here are the letters being read. We all on the same page? Okay, good. Are we doing okay? Okay, good. Because that's the introduction. We're doing good. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, and then 16 through 17. Paul says... What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're just servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered. If I can insert here, big deal. God gave the growth. So, Paul didn't found this church. Jesus did. Apollos didn't found this church. Jesus did. So, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. Now pay very, very close attention to this. You, plural, that is all of you together, all of you, you freaks and geeks, all of you together, are God's singular temple. God's singular building. Not you as an individual, you as a group. Do you, plural, not know that you, plural, are God's singular temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you, plural, together? Now in chapter 6, he's going to say that God's Spirit dwells in you, singular. But here, it dwells in us. Somehow God's Spirit dwells in relationship. Now listen to this. How many of y'all have one of those little scripture promise books? Yeah, this one's not in there. If anyone destroys God's temple, singular, God will destroy him, singular. For God's temple, singular, is holy. And you, plural, this community gathered here this morning, you are this temple. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we ask you to bless your word this morning. Father, help this to be a house that is life-giving. 
bring life here. Father, I pray that for every single person who calls this church home, that this would be a place that when they come on Sunday morning, they know that life is going to be poured into them, that health, that they're going to come under the cross of Jesus together. People with different histories, different gifts, different strengths, different experiences, and they're all going to come together and they're going to give life to each other. They're going to share in the resurrection of Jesus together. Father, would you make this a place where love is tangible? Not where there's tolerance, but total devotion to each other. Not where there's peace because of lack of conflict, but where there's deep abiding commitment to one another. Work that, Lord, we ask, through your scripture and the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. So, Paul is addressing this group, and I hope they have way bigger issues than we do this morning, and I think that they probably do, but how many of us will be open enough to admit that there are some people, sometimes, every once in a while, in another church who every once in a while annoy you? They're not here this morning, so you're safe. I'm sure that there's nobody in this church that would do that to you. But the fact is, people are different than us. People have different histories. They have different spiritual experiences. And those spiritual experiences shape the way that we think about God. This group over here imagines God as a God of power, which he is, but that is an incomplete picture of him. It's through their experience that they think that way. These people over here think about God as a God of truth and ultimate wisdom and knowledge. And that's not a wrong picture of God, but it is incomplete in and of itself. And I love this because... I think there are three things that Paul, before he's even going to try to wrangle this issue out, that he would say to us if we were there in that church, and I think we can apply to ourselves this morning, three things that he would say to us. The first is this, that we can actually be us without all of us agreeing about everything. We can actually have community without unanimity. We don't have to agree about everything. I listen to my own messages once in a while. I don't agree with everything I say let alone everything you say. We are not going to agree on everything. We've got these smart people and these supernatural people, these freaks and these geeks, and Paul looks at them and he says, I demand, I know that you feel like you have a very, very different relationship with Jesus, that you value different things, and that you very personally feel the things that you feel because they're your experience. But I demand that you commit yourselves to each other until such time as you can rectify your differences. I demand that you do that, he says. It's not me against you. It's not us against them. It is we. It is us as the temple of God. And you need to pay attention to that phrasing, temple of God, because Paul's going to use that to just kind of flat kick us in the backside here in just a second. Is that okay? Okay. All right. If I need to be tackled by security at any point, Pastor, Pastor Norm, it's fine. Just take me out. Our togetherness is not built on our uniformity or unanimity, but our identity as the redeemed people of God. So we can be us without agreeing about everything. I know all of us probably think, let's just be honest, we really think that the church community would be better if everybody was just like me. Wouldn't it be awesome if they sang all the worship songs that you listen to at home? If they always read that one passage that you always read for your devotion because it's your favorite, it's your Bible jam, Wouldn't it be awesome if they dressed the way, if they preached the way? Wouldn't it be awesome if we did the ministries that you think about and you pray about? We all think that way. All of us do. All of us do. But we can disagree 
without getting everything identically aligned between us. In fact, Paul promises, how many believe the promises of God? Paul actually says, right now, you and I read another Bible promise that is not in your Bible promise book. We all see through a a glass dimly. Do you know what that means? That means you are wrong about something right now and you do not know it. You're wrong about something right now in the way that you think about your relationship with Jesus and you don't know it yet. That should cause us to walk in humility with each other, shouldn't it? I am wrong about something. I mean, I don't know what it could possibly be. I thought through everything so thoroughly. But I know there must be something, and there is something for you. In fact, let's go back. How many think Paul was probably a man of God? And Paul, right, and Barnabas, they get into a knockdown, dragout fight over Mark. Somebody's wrong, and somebody's right. But the fascinating thing about it is it's their stories that come to play. Paul, he is a person that when he comes to Jesus, he has to leave everything instantly, immediately, and follow Jesus, and he suffers for it. In fact, some people actually believe 1 Corinthians 7 is personal narrative and that he's actually lost his wife over it. We don't know that for sure. Some people believe that. But the fact is we know he lost all of his relationships. We know he lost his position. We know he lost his financial ability. All of that he had to leave. And so when Mark is not ready to stand up and suffer for Jesus, he's like, in or out, pal. That's the way the gospel works. Why? Because that's his story. But on the other hand, Barnabas is the son of encouragement, isn't he? Son of encouragement. His story is very different. He's going, come on, Paul, this is the gospel, man. This is the gospel of second chances. Cut the guy some slack. And I have no doubt that probably plays out of his kind of story. Okay? So if we're going to be us, we have to commit before we concur. We can bring our different histories and our different gifts to the table and still be us. Um, I have my own personal story of coming to Jesus. I didn't come to Jesus until I was 19. And um, how I came to the Lord, I ended up in an emergency room, and the Lord preached the world's shortest sermon, and it was very, very sort of subtle and loving. He said, JP, you've known the right way, and if you die, you will go to hell. Full stop. No instrumentation. No soft music playing in the background. That was it. And it was sort of like when the gorilla comes on the bus, you know where he sits, right? Anywhere he wants. I was just like, you know, I think that sounds like a great idea. I think I'll become a Christian. And Jesus changed my life and transformed my life. Now, how many can guess the first 20 times I preached what my message was? <laughs> Not only that, but it was you're going to the emergency room, and if you die, you're going to go to hell. I had one message, and it was based on my story. Now, then I met another guy who became a friend of mine. He went to church for the very first time, had been raised kind of with a knowledge of God, heard the gospel for the first time, and they didn't even mention how. He gives his life to Jesus. He's like, man, if Jesus loves me enough to give his life for me, I should just give my life to Jesus. He's telling me his testimony, and I'm like, you ain't even saved, bro. You don't even know about hell. <laughs> right? Why? Because that's my story. And he's looking at me going, you are, everything about you is about hell and not about love. You don't even know the gospel. And we have the potential to have this serious conflict. And today he's actually one of my great, great friends. But this happens. Our stories intersect. I'll give you another example. How many have ever heard the, either of the names D.L. Moody or Charles Spurgeon? Okay, so Charles Spurgeon was the greatest preacher in the late 19th century in London. And he preached uh, there, and he wanted to have D.L. Moody, who was an American preacher, come and preach at his church. D.L. Moody was the greatest evangelist in America at that time. And he said, if we can have the greatest evangelist in America come and preach at the greatest church in London, Jesus will probably come back. It'll just be that amazing. And so they pay for a ticket, they get 1874, they get D.L. Moody on a steamboat, he comes across, he lands, they pre-preaches, people get saved, and they're walking through the garden after the service, and they're talking. 
Now, the history of some of these issues are different in England than they are in America. And one thing we know about Charles Spurgeon is that he smoked cigars. Now, you never would have done that as a preacher in America. And they're walking along in the garden, and all of a sudden, Charles Spurgeon pulls out his cigar, the biggest cigar you ever saw. It's like out to here, you know. Puts it in his mouth, lights it up, starts blowing rings, and D.L. Moody is fit to be tied. He's walking along. He's like, what's he doing? What's he doing? I thought he was a Christian. I thought he was a man of God, but now he's smoking a cigar. What's going on? You know, he's thinking in his head. He's freaking out. And finally, he turns around, he pivots, and he goes, Spurgeon, that, my brother, is sin. And what I haven't told you is that D.L. Moody was like six foot two, six foot three, 350 pounds. And Spurgeon, who was one of the funniest guys in the world, turns around, pivots, puts his finger right on D.L. Moody's belly. And he says, no, brother, that's sin. <laughs> Awkward pause. And then they both just sort of start laughing. But all of the kingdom was on the line right at that very moment. Their stories, their histories collided. And some of us in here, our history, what God delivered us from, we're very sensitive about those issues because God delivered us from those things. And others of us, God's delivered us from other things. Our stories collide with each other. They collide, and they have the potential to cause conflict. Some of us in here probably experience God as Father. Some of us, our first experience with God was, was with God as judge, like mine. How many know if you've got those two people together, there's going to be conflict? Until they start to realize they both have experienced a part of who God is in a unique experience that is their own. And that we can actually learn to be more like God by listening to each other. You know that we can actually even blow it against each other and still be us, still be community? Are there any sinners here today? <sighs> That's such a relief. thought I was the only one. <laughs> who, we can forgive those, this is fascinating, who sin like us. See, we sin not to our weaknesses, but we sin to our strengths. Right? That's how we sin. Let's go back to our freaks and geeks, Okay. You geeks over here, you guys are not going to sin by becoming all kinds of crazy Pentecostal and not preaching the word and not doing discipleship because you guys are too busy having 36,000 rounds of Jericho marches believing that it's going to usher in the return of Jesus Christ. That's not going to happen to you guys. You guys are going to sin by spending all of your time studying and learning and growing and not being productive for the kingdom and becoming critical and cynical. See, you're going to sin to your strength, right? Now, don't, don't get all over here, freaks. I'm coming for you. <laughs> don't get all over here. I'm coming. And you people over here, you guys aren't, aren't going to sin by giving too much attention to the Word of God and trying to learn biblical languages and spending 14 hours a day in your office locked away trying to figure out whether the aorist tense of the Greek verb actually has impact on the meaning. You guys aren't going to do that. What you guys are going to do is you guys are going to exert all of your energy on experiencing the presence of God with each other and for each other and forget to be missional. You're going to lack interacting with God in the realm of the intellect, and you're going to do stupid things for the kingdom of God that are going to impact negatively what God does for the long term. And oh, by the way, you will also become cynical and critical of people who experience God in other ways than you. See, we sin to our strengths. And here's the deal. We can forgive people who sin like us. So this group over here, Here's how it works. Okay, now I'm just going to be honest with you. I, my early Pentecostal experience was more over here, but I am by nature a little more over here. Okay? A little more over on the geek side. So if I'm sitting around with a friend and we're talking about somebody and we realize they're doing things that aren't theologically sound, we can sit there and we can laugh and we can get a little critical. And I'm going to forgive him. You know why? Because he's sinning like me. 
And we can be over with this group right here, and we can sit there, and we can talk about, oh my goodness, so-and-so, and we can start to call them Pharisees and Sadducees, and we can get critical about people who spend too much time studying the Word, but they don't pray enough, or they don't whatever, and we can do that, see, because we're sinning like each other. Where we, what Paul is arguing is that we'll know that the gospel of God is really working in the community of faith when we can forgive people who sin differently than us. When we can recognize that this person is sinning to their strengths, and it's not any different than the way that I sin, therefore I embrace them. It just looks worse because it doesn't look like mine. Yeah? All right. So maybe we actually need to think about engaging those of us who bother us the most if we want to build the kingdom. I'm going to be offended if I get 47 invitations to lunch this week from this church. You really irritate me. I should probably hang out with you. But here's the deal. If people are experiencing God in one of those other ways that I haven't experienced, what does that mean? They know God in a way that I don't. And if I want to know God in all the ways he wants to be known, maybe I should hang out with some people who know him in ways that I don't. But if I don't learn to forgive people who sin like I don't, I won't. Does that make sense? So I've got to purposefully invite people to my space who get on my spiritual nerves. We really can be us. Some of you have somebody in mind right now. (laughs) See? The Lord moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. That's good. Number two, getting this right, I think if Paul was here, he would say, is really, really important. I think it would be difficult for us to exaggerate how badly Paul wants the Corinthians to get this us thing, this community thing right. Paul uses two metaphors here. We don't have time to tease them all out. But he uses the metaphor of the temple, and he uses the metaphor of the field. And the field, both of these are uh, metaphors that get picked up from the book of Isaiah. We won't pluck all of those out, but we'll go back to our statement. You, plural, are his building, singular, his temple. Okay? Now, can you pull up the temple of the slide, the slide of the temple for me? Okay, so this is a reconstruction, just an imagined reconstruction of the temple and second temple Judaism. And I want to explain to you why this is so important. Remember I said, God, God actually, if we go back to creation, a very, very important question is, how does God make himself known to us? That's a, that's a great question, right? Can we know God? Great question. And that first little kind of rubric that I gave you, kind of division that I gave you, that God speaks through power, God speaks through truth, and God speaks through relationship, what's fascinating is if you go back to the book of Genesis, God speaks. And when God speaks, he creates, and what he creates is divine, is is designed to communicate to us. And the first thing he creates is the created world. In other words, he says, here's my power. Check out my power. What does Romans 1 and 2 say? That God's eternal glory, his eternal Godhead, is revealed in the world that we live in. In other words, God is speaking that he is the powerful God by the world we live in. Just go outside and say, wow. God is either nothing or he is amazing. Can't be anything in between with all of this stuff. right? Then he creates us Imago Dei, image of God. And almost every anthropologist, both Christian and non-Christian, believe that the thing that makes you unique from the rest of the created world is the fact that you have enough neural connections in your brain to think one thought that no other animal on the planet can think. And it's going to sound very familiar to you. That thought is, I am. It's the ability to know that you exist. 
in differentiation from everything else and ask questions about that. You're the only animal on planet Earth that has the capacity to think that thought because it requires you to differentiate yourself from everything else that exists in the world. In other words, Jesus creates there the ability for you to ask good questions about who you are and why you exist and what life is about. He creates the capacity for knowing truth. But then he has one more trick up his sleeve, right? He's revealing himself through truth. He's revealing himself through creation, through power. And then he says, not only that, but I'm going to create another person who is imago Dei, image of God. That's what it says. Creates them in the image of God. So that what? So that one person, so if you and I get together, you're imago Dei. Do you know that? Most sacred space on earth right here. Two by two foot square that any single person sits in. Most sacred space on earth. Most important thing on earth right here. Only thing that's image of God, the whole world. That it's designed, God designed it so that when you and I get together, I get to know more of what God looks like because I'm with you. And you get to know more of what God looks like because you're with me. You see, God really created three temples, right? A temple of thought, a temple of wonder, a temple of power, and a temple of relationship. And all three of them are designed to house God's presence. God lives there. God reveals himself there. Here's the deal. In the Old Testament temple, or in the second, second, uh, uh, second temple Judaism, this is the temple at the time of Jesus. Do you see on the left side of the screen, towards the back, there are all these little doors, and there are a bunch of people gathered looking in the side. Can you make those out? I know it's not the best image in the world. Here's the way this worked. The way the temple was designed, it was actually a missionary, missional space. So people would be walking along the ancient trade routes, and they would look up on the top of the mountain in Jerusalem, and they would go, wow, that's amazing. How many of you have ever seen the, uh, the Mormon tabernacle? You can see it from the plane, and you're like, wow, that's incredible. I mean, it stands out in stark relief against the skyline, and it makes you want to go there, except you can't because you don't have the special underpants. But <laughs> it makes you want to go, okay? So am I allowed to say that? Am I okay? Okay, I'm good, okay. All right, Unless you do have them, then let me know what it's like. Okay. So there are the, people are walking along the road, and they see this amazing thing, and they go, wow, why would people make that? They wonder. It's almost like an act of creation, right? And they wonder, why would people make that? And basically, the idea was that a faithful Jew would be able to say, you should totally go there. Because if you go there, you can learn about God. And a lot of people don't know this, but see how big the temple complex is? This court to the left of it, we can't see all of it in the image, is the exact same size, and it's called the Gentile court. The missional space for Gentiles to come and actually look at what is happening in there is just as big as the rest of the temple space, telling us this is about people learning about God experiencing God. And they could stand and look through those side doors, and there there would be teachers, and those teachers would be explaining to them what was happening in the temple. Truth. So we've got two so far, power and truth. But here's what would happen. They would be, all of a sudden, somebody would walk in, and you guys know the story. It's in Matthew, right? If you go to offer your offering before the Lord, and you realize that what? There's something wrong between you and your brother? What do you do? You leave your sacrifice there, go and make it right, and come back. And there the Gentiles are. They're looking through the side court, right? They're looking through the side court, and all of a sudden, some guy comes in. He's got his little lamp. You can be happy for now, buddy, but you're going down in a minute. Okay? Sorry, I blew it. Not your fault, but mine. Okay? And all of a sudden, he walks up. There he is. And he remembers, oh my goodness, there's something between me and my brother. The Gentiles are looking in the side, and they see this guy. He's got this animal. He's getting ready to sacrifice it. He ties it to the altar. And he walks right back out. 
They go, where's he going? What's he doing? I have no idea. Ask the guy. About five minutes later, the guy comes back in, unties the lamb, does the sacrifice. Why? See, this temple can't be okay if this temple isn't okay. Right? This is a space where God lives. And they were able to look over and say, see, at the end of the day, and this is radical. This is radical. John says, if you cannot love your brother who you can see, because they are imago Dei, they're in the image of God, then, and you say you love God who you cannot see, I tell you the truth, you are a liar. And the truth of God is not in you. Whoa. Why? Because God's plan for revealing himself to the earth is not predicated merely on miracles, merely on the preaching of truth. Those two things are important. But it is a three-part strategy. He's going to do miracles. He's going to communicate truth. But then he's going to allow people to experience what it's like to see God in action through relationship. In fact... John, in John chapter 17, records the words of Jesus. This is so powerful. He says, right before relating to the Great Commission, he says, I do not ask for these only, John chapter 17, 20 through 23, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, listen to this, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Did you hear that? The, the idea that Jesus says... The world will not know that I'm legitimately the Christ if my people don't behave as one. That means we could give a bajillion dollars to missions this year. We could have the most amazing speakers. We could have the most amazing worship team. Programs could be off the hook. And if we don't show people what Jesus is like by the way we love one another in community, it will all be for naught. It will all be for naught. And he repeats it. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. He says it again. So that the world may know that you have sent me and that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. God's power is great. God's truth is important. But God's love becomes visible to people in the community. It becomes visible to people by how we love one another here, by how we serve one another here, by how we forgive one another here, by how we use our words to bless one another here. So that just leaves us with a third, and I want to get like super practical if I can. I'm I'm just a practical guy. So three simple things we can do for a better us. Three simple things we can do. How do, we, how do we do this? Because you're like, I get that, but I still don't like that person. I get that, but they're still not my favorite. I get that, but they're still crazy. Three things we can do. The first is this. We can take time to get healthy. Say, so what do you mean by that? Some of us actually can't speak well of others because we are unwell ourselves. Some of us cannot, simply cannot speak well of others because we are so deeply hurt and damaged ourselves. It's impossible for us. 
We cannot bear the thought of someone else being blessed, of receiving grace, because either we struggle under condemnation, or we struggle under hurt, or we're struggling with unforgiveness, and therefore we can't release that to somebody else. In fact, John, on the, John tells us about Jesus on the last day of the great feast. He stood up and he said, I tell you the truth, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water, but they've got to flow through you first. And until we're well, we can't love. Why not? Well, because if I'm hurt, right, if I'm suffering, how many know love and risk are synonyms? You, there's no such thing as safe love. Amen. It implies a risk. It implies risk. Even if I'm just going to say, hey, Pastor Norm, you look great today. I still risk right there. He could sit there and he could, go, I, he could respond and go, why is he telling me that? Is he trying to manipulate me? Is he trying to, what's he trying to get done? Or is he saying that, like, like have I really been looking that bad the last little while? Now he's angry at me. I've, I've risked. A little bit. Or he might say, you know, I've actually been meaning to talk to you. I know that I look good, but you could really up your game, you know. I mean, that could happen. That could happen. Not on my birthday, though, man. That would be mean. Don't do that on my birthday. Just wait till tomorrow. Call me tomorrow. It risks, right? What about even more if I start trying to encourage somebody and then they discourage me? It feels like a betrayal. And if I'm hurt, I'm wounded, I can't take that kind of risk. Even just going up to people when they come into the church. If I go up to them and I go to give them a big hug and I get the fish. You know the fish? <laughs> or you go to shake their hand and you get the, the, sort of, the sort of oatmeal hand. You know what I'm talking about? Like that's a risk because you've gone all out and said, I want to embrace you. I want to love you. But I got nothing back. See? It hurts. And we have to be well before we can meaningfully engage the community of faith. How do we do that? Well, we spend time living in the adoptive state of the sons and daughters of God, growing in our security in the Lord, letting God fill us and restore us and renew us. Last time I checked, Jesus, before he left, said, I will not leave you orphans. In fact, he actually said something crazy. He said, it's better for me that I go away because the Holy Spirit's actually going to be able to do more for you than I can here as the physical Jesus. That's crazy. I don't even know what that means. I just have to take it at face value. That we live in a place of abundance, with the Spirit of God, the redemption of God, the adoption of God. We have to live in that space and be restored, be well. That's something that only you can do for you, though. Nobody else can do that for you. Only you and Jesus can get together and make that happen. Get well. But I will just tell you that if you're looking to come to a church and not be hurt, that's a problem. This place is full of sinners, in process, including, I won't speak for Pastor Norm, but I will speak for myself. If you hang out with me long enough, I will disappoint you. It will happen. And it might be on purpose. It could be a bad day. It might be on accident. It could be a good day. But it might even just be a misunderstanding. But it will happen sooner or later. And you're going to have to have a, make a choice about whether we can still do temple together or not. Whether our relationship still has the capacity to show Jesus or not. And that, at the end of the day, is the, is the decision. Not do I cut people out of my life? Do I, how, what do I do to get healthy people into my life, the question is actually, will I allow the relationships in my life to manifest the glory of God? That's the question. And when we say no, we give up on the gospel working. It's a bad place to be. The second thing we can do is, even though we're a mess, we can just go ahead and embrace us. Just settle it in your mind right now. Sometimes when we're praying, we have low sanctification days at our house. Any of y'all have any of those? 
No, you guys are good. We have low sanctification days. Just nobody is hitting on all their spiritual cylinders, besides my wife, because she's amazing. But me and the boys, we are just train wreck. And sometimes we'll get ready to pray. You ever feel guilty when you're getting ready to pray for a meal? You know everybody's got a bad attitude. You've been fighting. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, no, no, we're good. Okay. You just keep living in your little dreamland. That's fine. Okay. So in our house, in the real world, this is the way it goes sometimes. And sometimes I just pray. And what do I say, guys? Jesus, just bless this mess. I mean, that's all I got. Jesus, just bless this mess. That's all I got. And some days the community of faith is just like that. Just just bless this mess. You're going to have a meeting with people at the church, and there's going to be miscommunication. Somebody's going to say something they shouldn't have said. That's going to start other people saying things they shouldn't have said. It's just going to end up being a mess. And you're just going to have to go, Lord, just bless this mess. I'm just going to embrace us. I'm committed to us. How dare I believe that I can withdraw my presence from them in relationship when you have not withdrawn theirs? and you haven't withdrawn yours. How dare I? I'm just going to embrace the mess and realize it's part of the process. It's part of it. It comes with the territory. Romans 15.7 is one of my favorite passages. It says that we should welcome one another, embrace one another, just as Christ has embraced us. In other words, my goal, when I get together, with a, me and my brother get together for breakfast here, my goal should be what? To make him feel how much Jesus has embraced him in the gospel. Isn't that beautiful? Then my goal when I get together, my goal when I greet you after service is to make you understand how much Jesus has embraced you in the gospel, how welcoming he's been to you. That's my job to you in relationship. That's our job to each other. People come into a community like that, they're going to say, no, I ain't never done seen nothing like this before where everybody is embracing one another in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And third, and this is where I want to get super practical, intentionally pursue us. Pursue relationship. I have a couple little rules that I try to live by. Um, If you ever see me and we're talking, and all of a sudden I pull out my phone, I promise you I'm not um, playing uh, Candy Crush or anything, I promise I'm not doing that. What I am doing is when, when the Holy Spirit speaks to me, here's my deal. I have this little rule of thumb. Never waste nice. How many in here have ever thought anything nice about anybody in this room? You better put your hand up. There will be an altar call for mean, nasty people at the end of this service. You need to have thought something nice, but here's the deal. You don't know whether that is the Holy Spirit or that is you. Remember what I said? You have to risk. Love is risk. And here's what I do. I have determined that if I ever think anything nice, I will tell you. I will text you. I will email you. I will pull you aside. I will give you a phone call. We have 47 lines of connectivity that we can do in 15 seconds or less with technology. I will contact you and let you know that thinking about you blessed me today. And here's the deal. The best thing that happens is that that was the Holy Spirit and you desperately needed that. And the worst thing that happens is you think I'm nice. (laughs) I mean, where is the lose? But we do this all the time. We hoard it to ourselves. We think things, and there could be blessing flowing to people all around us, and we hoard it to ourselves because I'm scared. I'm just not that kind of person. I'm not an extrovert. Get over it. Just get over it. Bless people. Bless people. It will just mean more in the eyes of Jesus if it costs you sacrifice to do it. That's all. It'll just be more pleasing to Jesus if it costs you sacrifice to do it. So that's a win. Schedule compliments and prayer time for others. I actually have, you'll see it on my calendar, every um, Wednesday at 4.30. 
and Fridays, I have scheduled time to compliment people around me. They say, well, that's kind of cold and calculated. Well, the, o- <laughs> the only other option is not doing it because I'm busy. And so I figure the loving thing to do is to actually schedule time to sit down and say, who has been a blessing? I schedule a time to bless my professors and my staff who teach with us at the college, and they probably know on Wednesday they're like, oh, it's this time again because here they come. I don't care what they think. I want to bless them. And if it's gone through my mind, it's gone through my heart, I want them to know that I've been thinking about them and I appreciate them. And you can do the same thing, right? 4.30 on Fridays, I have my thank you note time, and I'm thinking about who's, who are people that have just gone the extra mile this week in my life, whether it's been a student that I saw reach out to another student and give time to them that they could have been doing something else, whether it's a pastor that I saw, you know, I, it doesn't matter. Just take some time to bless somebody. I can't get to everybody, but I can get to the ones that I can get to in that 30 minutes and speak life and spread life to those around me. But you've got to be intentional about it. And people are like, well, that's not really my heart. Can I tell you a secret? You want, I can tell you how to put your heart where you want it. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you throw your calendar and your wallet, your heart will follow. So put it on your calendar and do it, and you'll start cultivating a passion for blessing people. Yes? Finally, schedule time for others who are not like you intentionally on your calendar. What time do we all normally get done here? We're 11, what time do you normally get done? When, 12 o'clock, is that what you said? One, oh my goodness, well, I, got, I got a whole series together. That's fantastic. Let, let me tell you one quick story before I wind up. Here's the deal. How many of us believe that we need to embrace everybody and love everybody? That, that's true, okay, cool. Now, um, I live in a very, very diverse community. Um, Grand Rapids First, the church, sits in a, in a community that's about 35% diverse with white people, African-Americans, a huge African population, which is amazing. We have a Hispanic population. We have a Liberian population. We have multiple Asian populations. We have a huge Hispanic population. And our church is about 35% diverse. It pretty close to mirrors our community, which is awesome. That's fantastic. So in this community, there are a lot of people who say we value diversity. We value that the kingdom of God should undo what the Tower of Babel did. It should bring people back together in community in Christ, right? And I have some friends of mine, great people. Um, they actually happen, it's a, a brother and a sister who team pastor a church, and they both happen to be half African-American, half white. So they're like, we are a multicultural church all by ourselves. That's the way they always say it. They're great people. And they told me they were in a master's level program. So these are people paying $675 a credit hour to go someplace and learn about building multicultural communities. If anybody in the world could say, I value multicultural community, it would be them right? Their very first lesson, the guy who's the PhD sat down. He said, everybody here, you're here because you're passionate about multicultural community. Yes, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Absolutely. I'm passionate about that. I embrace that. Absolutely. 100%. Cool. Here's a picture. I want you to do something for me. Hand them a picture of a dining room table with eight chairs on it. Put the names of the last eight families that have dined in your home on that table. In a room full of people who are getting a master's degree in kingdom ethnic diversity and who are paying money to become better at what they're already passionate about. Not one single person had one person at their table who looked different than they did. You see, we can talk about diversity, but we've got to be intentional about it. And it's not just ethnic diversity. It's gift diversity. It's story diversity. It's educational diversity. We can talk about it all we want, but we've got to be intentional. We've got to be intentional. And that means maybe you're the kind of person and you go to lunch with somebody once a week. Mark the third week on your calendar every time that you're going to go out to lunch with somebody that is unlike anybody you've ever been to lunch with before. And you're going to hear their story. You're going to hear how they've experienced God and what God's looked like in their lives, what their, what their history has been. It's powerful. It's powerful. 
but you've got to be intentional about it. So I have, I told you, I'm more on the conservative side. I have this buddy of mine, he's an absolute nut. He's a complete freak. Absolutely charismatic nut freak job. True. I mean, he's one of these guys you call him, and you're like, how's things going? He's like, oh, man, it was just amazing. I just had a, a revelation that Jesus was going to send a group of sand crabs, and they were going to spell out the date that Jesus was going to return in sand. And, uh, you know, I mean, I mean he, and, you're, and you're, he goes, what do you think about that? And you just go, great. <laughs> I don't know. You know, and you're just like, my dog's not feeling good. He's like, we'll raise that puppy from the dead. You know, I mean, this is one of these guys, you know. He's fantastic. And I mean that. I mean, I'm, I'm kidding, but I'm saying it all seriously to show you. He, he is over there. And I'm over here, right? I'm like, he's talking to me, and he's like, so what do you think about this verse? Like two hours later, I hear his head hitting the table. You know, he's just, so I'm, what am I doing? I'm sitting to my strength, right? And he's sitting to his strength. But we have intentionally said we need each other. We need each other. I need him to make sure that I don't continue to be out of balance and sin to my strength. And he needs me, and we work together. And you know, he writes books. When he gets ready to do a book, he sends me a copy, and he says, would you make sure I'm not being a nut? And I said, well, I can guarantee you are, but I'll be happy to tell you where it is. <laughs> and then when I'm doing stuff, I'm like, you know, can you, can you make sure, you know, that I'm, not, I'm hitting strong enough on this? And he's like, bro, this is dead, man. you got to put some life in here. You know, we, we help each other out. And we've learned to acknowledge that, that that we need each other, that we have to be intentional about it, and that we know there's going to be friction at points. There's going to be. But that it's worth it because we've experienced God in ways the other hasn't, and we want all that God has. And it's worth it because it shows the world what the gospel really, really looks like. It's worth it. It's worth it. Okay. So, what do we do then? Are we doing okay? I've been told by the pastor's wife, he says, and I close. That, how, much, how much longer is that? 15, 20 minutes? 15, 20, she's, she said it wasn't always exactly when I closed. I'm going to close. Actually, i got four more points after I say I'm going to close. I don't. The question is, what do we do? So the thing about this message is that, you know, there are kind of a few ways we can respond. But what I'd like to do is... Um, She's going to play for us for a minute. And instead of doing an altar call, I'd like to do a calendar call. Instead of doing an altar call, I'd like to do a calendar call. And say, well, what's a calendar call? Well, it's less painful than a wallet call. That I can tell you. (laughs) We're going to take just a couple of minutes and I'm going to pray. And if you're a person who doesn't keep a calendar, that's fine. If you are, I want you to pop it out. And I want you to say, Lord, how can I practically respond? How can I practically respond? My heart's there. I want to love people. I want, I want people. I want when someone comes in, when my brother or my sister or my cousin or my aunt or my neighbor comes into this church and they don't know Jesus for the first time, I want them to experience Jesus. We all agree with that? And I want to be a part of that solution. How can I practically do that? God, give me a space on my calendar. Maybe it's one time a week where I'm just saying, hey, I want to bless the people who are around me. I'll tell you what works for me. So I have a prayer schedule. Um, I don't know how you do it. I used to pray for everything every day. That got, like, it didn't work for me. 
You need to do what works for you. So for me, on Monday, I pray for the college and the college students, and my team on the college, and, and my staff, and so on and so forth. On Tuesday, I pray for, and I don't pray for the college first because I love them more than my family, but we have chapel on Monday, so that's why I pray for them. On Tuesday is my day to pray for my family and uh, my boys and my wife and, and my extended family. Wednesday, I pray for my pastor friends and leader friends. Thursday, I pray for, my, for the mission of God and my missionary friends. And Friday, I pray for issues that are on the world. Maybe you're a person who says, I can intentionally do it that way, and I can work into that day that I'm praying for my family to encourage my family that day. Some of you could breathe life right into your family. Some of you students could breathe life into your school. But it's saying, I'm going to be the person who's going to pray, and then I'm going to respond by encouraging the things that God encourages, by blessing the things that God blesses. But I, want us to, I don't want us to just respond and say, you know, I really need to get better. I really need to get better. I really need to get better. I want us to put it on our calendar and actually get better. Amen. Actually get better. Can we do that? So I'm going to pray and give us just like two minutes for the Lord to just speak to us. And um, then I'll pray again and I'll hand it over to Pastor Norm. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Thanks that you speak to us. And Jesus, when we are before you, we are open, we are honest. There are people that it's a struggle for us. There are people that their stories are so different than ours. Whether it's because of their gifts, whether it's because of their history with you. Their stories are so different than ours. But, but gathered around this community this morning and in this house this morning are people who you deeply deeply, deeply love, who you have accepted in the gospel and who it is our goal to show that gospel love to, to repeat, to help people when they meet us to, that they would remember how much they are loved by God, that we would echo the love that you have for each individual who you know and who you've redeemed and who you've saved. So Father, would you take just this couple of moments and talk to your children Maybe it's a workplace and you're talking to a boss about taking 30 minutes per week and walking around and blessing what he sees. Maybe you're talking to a father or a mother and you're encouraging them to take 10 minutes a day and walk around their family and message their extended family and bless what you see. Maybe you're talking to a student And you're asking them to be a part of blessing what's going on in their school, what's going on in their family, what's going on in their community. Maybe you're talking to leaders who become discouraged. Father, would you give them a heart to bless? Give them a heart to bless, Lord. Give them a heart to bless. To build the community of faith, to build us. So that when the lost come in and they experience us, they hear your truth, they experience your power. When they open their eyes, all they see is the gospel being played out in the lives of the people in this great house of worship. Would you do that, Jesus? Do that in our hearts, Lord. Do that in our hearts.
Yes, Lord. Speak to that father, Lord. Speak to that father to bless his family. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks. Thanks, Lord. Now, Father, I bless you. And I ask you, Lord, that you would bless your people. Bless Pastor Norm and Barb. Bless their team. Bless those who have just called this their home. Bless those who have been here and been faithful. Father, and those who are here just trying to figure out where they fit in your family. Bless them, Lord. For any that might be here this morning that would say, you know, I don't even fit in the family of God yet. Would you allow this to be a place, Lord, where the gospel is so clearly seen and articulated and experienced that they just can't resist you. They want to know you and respond. You know, normally with this message, I'll do this and I'll close. Normally with this message, I wouldn't do this. But with everyone's heads bowed, if you would say, I'm here this morning and I, I need to come into the family of God. I, I'm not right with Jesus. I, I want to know him this morning. I want to be accepted into him, into his family because of his death on the cross, because he's loved me so much. I just want to become a part of the family of God. I'm not going to call you up, but I just want to see a show of hands. That's you. Just slip up your hand real quick. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Great. Great decision. Great. Anyone else? Anyone else? Fantastic. I'm going to pray for you. Pastor Norm is going to come up. And those who slipped up your hands, please, 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 please. If you're not already connecting this church, talk to Pastor Norm. Talk to someone on the team and tell them what the Lord's doing in your life. Best decision you could ever make. Best decision you could ever make. Father, these ones that you're dealing with this morning, bless their hearts. Let them sense your grace and forgiveness. Let newness of life take place where death was. Every single person in this room who knows you, Lord, has come to that place where he said, I, just, I need you. I've got, I, I, I need you. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I just need you. And your grace on the cross was enough. Your mercy is sufficient to bring new life, resurrected life, new hope, a new direction, deliverance, forgiveness. Would you do that, Lord? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray you enjoyed this message. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at gaylorchurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.